Hello, good evening, good morning, good night, whatever this is. If you're new, which you all are, because this is new, um, I'm going to be reading. Simply, that's it. I have a bunch of books. I like to read a lot, and I'm going to be reading different things, um, kind of going through a bunch of different books that I like, and hopefully anyone likes to listen to this. Um, if you do and you have any book suggestions, you can send them to me. I guess my Instagram is Jonathan Sherburn, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-H-E-R-B-U-R-N-E. DM me if you'd like me to read anything specific. Leave a comment if you're on iTunes and I'll see it. Other than that, I don't really know what to tell you. So uh, if you'd like, feel free. This book I'm reading first is called Owl. It's by William Service. It was written in 1969, or I guess published in 1969. It is dedicated to Elia, Will, Grant, Timmy, Martha, Jason, and Claggart. I assume Claggart's the owl, but I'm not positive. I love this book. It's really simple. Um, it's pretty much about a family caring for an owl. Uh, it's pretty easy, pretty chill, and so this is going to be a very calm book. So I hope you're all in a calm mood. Don't worry, not everything I read will be, but this, for starters, for sure is a good place to start. So let's get started. Uh, the way the chapters work here in this book, by the way, as well, is the title of the chapter is also the first word. So I'm going to kind of say the title in, in emphasis, and then I'm going to move from there. This book's only 93 pages, so we're going to get through it pretty fast. Owl slides his foot down the curve of the fire screen, then, bobbing and swinging his head to get out of range, he eases his weight forward onto that foot. The off leg stays angled behind him. He sights in again on the tomcat, who half dozes six feet away. Owl makes tiny adjustments, leans still farther forward, but no attack occurs, and there he is, simply perched on the fire screen again. Owl's life is full of such empty melodrama, since many of his hours are passed each day in grey, rather scruffy in action, and being the half-interested observer of a great many commotions of no relevance to his life, and since each day is spent under the strictest house arrest, perhaps he needs to exaggerate his excitements. Or maybe that against some grayness in our own lives, we are the ones who exaggerate. An owl is an odd creature to keep about the house, also for forest, hedgerow, meadow to keep. An odd creature anywhere. I would like to describe how I removed the bird from the nest of its parents senselessly shot, the nest in a captivity, the nest in a cavity high up in a dead tree too rotten to climb, the traverse rope between two adjacent hickories, a hickory is a locally common mocker nut hickory called Caria tomentosa hand over hand until directly above the nest, and so forth. But what happened was, our retriever puppy discovered the fuzzball beaky and glare-eyed in woods behind the house, and bellowed at it until the children came. They brought it home in a coffee can and piped the usual question. Go home, owl, I wanted to say. But the woods borders are a cruel territory for anything odd and defenseless. Dogs, cats, children patrol steadily. He had been brought to a house already beset with enough and too many animals, the obligatory dog and cat, a big aquarium, half a dozen assorted turtles, two wild ducklings whose history began just like owls, a domestic squirrel on board while the owner's vacation. Our youngest, Grant, has reminded me three cups of dust, which his antlions lived. But especially I wanted no more of foundling birds. Their demands are greater than all of those others put together. Most of them require much expertise. Our usual experience has been that they eat ravenously a while and then die. Owl kept up a continuous churring noise, soft and scratchy. The yellow binocular stare from out of the coffee can seemed to return my own stare, but not so. I moved out of line, and the eyes did not waver. The owl had stood on his own two feet, looking alert and fearless. Feed him. 
The only fare immediately available was some soaked dog mail, pretty humble stuff. I offered a chunk, which Owl ignored until it touched the bristles beside his beak. Then, with a garbled noise, he seized it and gulped it down. Behind that little hooked beak, there gapes a surprising width of mouth. He snatched another chunk, uttered his noise. All right, we'll keep him. To register this new citizen, I looked him up in the guide. I announced rather hastily that we had a barred owl. Strix Varia. Later that day, a suggestion of tufts perking up for horns, a closer look. Otis Asio, the Screech Owl. Chapter 2. Anthropomorphize Owl. It is going to be impossible not to. He postures too much. He walks about bobbling like an old man with hands clasped behind his back. He looks one in the eye with furious intent and gazes wistfully out the window into the woodland home he may or may not ever haunt again. He pulls my ear affectionately. On the other hand, much of the time it is impossible to make even that kind of sense out of what he's doing. He swoops into the philodendron, one after the other snips three leaves, which he then ignores. He perches in the aloe, exclusively crackles off just the dead fronds. Next time he will nibble just the green ones. My daughter and a friend were playing a board game, Owl swept away with a man. What are you doing, Owl? As I read, he may perch on my knee. Is he sitting on my knee, or is he perched on a limb which happens to be my knee? First... Let's go back and raise our owl. Chapter 3 Fledgling owl, easy to house, feed, except that he's never stayed fed very long, and soon got the urge to march about. Owl took from 3 to 12 meals a day, depends on whether you consider one cricket delivered in a child's fist a formal meal. Even so, owl parents can call themselves lucky. Their feedings have much more substance and are processed much more slowly than the pap of insects and berries given to other nestlings. The five foster parents marched a doomed procession of moths and beetles and crickets and grasshoppers down that throat, plus squads of what one interested woman teamed Bill's artificial animals. Bits of beef liver wrapped in cat hair, chicken gizzard and poodle fur dog food, bristly as any caterpillar with a coat of human hair, feathered shrimp. These last represented almost all I knew about owls. Their digestive tracts require the roughage. For some weeks, owl refused hamburger. Did he know something about hamburger that we didn't know? What does an owl do when he refuses food? He draws himself to his full height, tucks his beak into his chest fingers, and stiff-legged backs away, glaring. If one presses the food on him, his horns go up. Chapter 4 Owl eyes, when they shut, owl has very nearly achieved the childhood fantasy that when you shut your eyes, no one can see you. Owl, now full-grown, has an optical system remarkable for both its capacities and its limitations. In the dimmest light he spots out of the corner of his eye from perhaps twenty feet away, a small moth dropped to the floor, and the only reason I know it's there is because I dropped it for him. Yet, as long as it doesn't move, he is weak at registering prey by its form and color alone. A fat moth on the wall may well be ignored. Unless Owl is very hungry, in which case he prowls and scans his familiar world for something suspicious, and any foreign shape is then recorded in many perspectives, even if it looks remotely like food. His decision is usually correct. In consequence, Owl seems avid to see. A full belly cannot still that visual appetite completely. To pick out an important event, which again might be perfectly unmoving, Owl must first learn the background in detail. He has learned what a bare plate looks like and lets it pass. Because much of his food is sawed from some frozen chunk and left to thaw on a plate, Owl has deduced, or perhaps he's merely playing the probabilities, that any lump of a thing on a plate is Owl food. Quite likely he will strike or at least approach to investigate, and so often we see Owl by our exquisite standards making a fool of himself over a cigarette butt or bread crust against the background of a plate. In dim light, the human pupil can be seen to dilate smoothly. Owl snaps open immediately to what must be twice the area of the humans, then may shudder right down against the proverbial pinpoint. 
The two extremes represent maximum sensitivity at open and maximum sharpness of image at closed. And at any time Owl sights in on something of unusual interest, he will use two f-stops, his pupils so fast they seem to blink. Owl the far seer, conversely, anything closer than 8 or 10 inches he can scarcely see at all, which means that he can form no useful image of what he holds in his talons. And now I can offer two possible reasons for Owl's odd habit of closing his eyes when he eats. First, he can't really see what he's got, so why not? Second, the things he eats, some of them, are thrown, known to thrash around a little, and who wants that in the eye? Does he think to guard his eyes, or is it automatic? Since they also close when he drinks water, let's call it automatic without perfectly being sure what automatic means. Sagacious Owl, bird of Athene, goddess of wisdom, he can't even see his own feet. Nor can his eyes move in their sockets. Owl's eyelids can come up from the bottom as well as down from the top, but also sometimes the upper ones come down on the bias. Now he looks sleepy, oriental, wise. In a minute he may look cross-eyed, but the books are right and Owl cannot move his eyes. If we suddenly found ourselves with eyes fixed in our heads, we would be plagued with double vision. Our eyes have to converge on something to focus. Whether Owl's lines of sight go out parallel or converge on some fixed point, well, how would you go about finding the answer? First of all, there's no reason why effective movement, i.e. navigation, can't be based on double images. As a matter of fact, that's the situation in most of the non-human vertebrate world. It's not, of course, our situation. When we focus on something with our two eyes, each eye takes the thing in from a slightly different angle and the slight difference in on the two images, which becomes fused into a single out-there lens, depth to the arrangement of things out there, and a sense of solidity to the things themselves. It's what we lose when we close one eye. If your eyes never converge on anything, Owl, how can you use binocular disparity to help you locate things? No answer. Although he emphasizes for the free Owl, the judgment of distance is a matter of life and death, period. But Owl's practice tells us something more. He reacts to a strange environment, or to something strange in a familiar environment, by bobbing and swinging his head, up, down, side to side, diagonally. Children imitate him a lot better than I can describe. As a novice flyer, Owl would hardly ever take off without considerable head movement. As an adult, he still makes a subtle check. Owl moves his head about the way things out there seem to move in relation to each other gives clues on how near or far they are. What's the term for that process? Motion parallax. And now, a little experiment you can work with your own or a borrowed street owl. First, place him on your hand about 18 inches from your face. Get him so he's looking you square in the eye. Now, before he turns his attention to something else, move the hand under him in slow circles, back, forth, up, down, etc. Note what your owl does, and we'll discuss it later. Growing up to become an owl, the odds are against the success of even an owlet. A major factor is the development of that optical system. At first, only the motion of large objects would attract his attention, and not dependably. Soon, however, he began to try to sight on things with a swing and bob of head so characteristic of him. Functionally, nevertheless, he was blind. He had never lived contentedly in his coffee can. He had been living contentedly in his coffee can on a shelf, never going more than a few feet from its entrance. To show him off to a friend who was at supper with us, we set the owlet on the table with dessert. He marched hip-hop across the table, up one side of the guest's ice cream and down the other, who said something in a resigned tone of voice and smoothed the prints out of his ice cream, and continued his way off the edge of the table. He took four falls this way until finally he learned how an edge looks. Now we know how he fell out of the nest, our guest observed, or else his mother kicked him out because he's an imbecile. Grounded, the flightless owl never showed the slightest fear of anything. Slow afoot, too weak to defend himself, for a wild creature rather strong-smelling. Note here says, an owl smells about the way you'd expect an owl to smell. Perhaps somewhat better, far milder than, say, a long-haired dog, mole, tomcat, ant, or person. 
Of what use fear? The grounded owlet, if an orphan, has one resource, face. And so he presented beak and furious yellow stare-face on anything that approached and went, chair at it. The animal which looks back at you with two eyes at once tends to stand high in the local food chain, i.e. not one of nature's victims. Our prodigious puppy, Jason, the one who found Owl in the first place, likes to take small animals and the wrists of children in his great soft mouth and march about. An escaped wild duckling got a fair tour of the neighborhood that way. Was recovered unhurt, but very soggy. He has pushed no such familiarity on owl fledgling or mature. It has been reported that many owl fledglings have the nest have left leave the nest before they can fly, and are supported as they clamber about on the ground and up trees by a parent, air support for the ground forces. It seems a chanced way to raise your children. Yet there are new owls every year, so it must work. Our fledglings stayed near the mouth of his coffee can for about a week, note here says, where a visitor recognized him immediately. Its people are no damn good, the Stig cartoon. But then, long before he could fly, he set out into the world on foot, a world he could scarcely see, which would have to be worked into shape through trial and error, for which he could not hope to exploit for food. A child leaving home with his clothes on and their favorite toy in a bag tied to a stick is better equipped to make a living. Nevertheless, off Owl went, presumably coated with the knowledge that his parents were maintaining overflights and gave the evil eye, the hex, to whatever came his way. The hex works on the cat who has never granted amnesty to any other weaker household creature luckless enough to go before him. The cat's name is Harold Claggart, and he says, It is regrettable that the prisoner was deceased in an attempt to escape from confinement and chill a fechelez. Claggart is an expert on other animals. Some dogs he flees, some he ignores, some he fights, others he keeps so far away from he never has to fight or flee. No greater hunter, only lust and combat truly stir him. Nevertheless, he knows how to and will he knows how to and will kill a chance squirrel or vole or bird, and will ignore toad and wasp, will munch a grasshopper, a pragmatist. How does he react to owl? On introduction, he was curiosity on stiff legs. He advanced his nose carefully, the little owl shut-eyed, leaned forward, and delivered the nibble and buzz he gave everything that which came to him. Claggart, not charmed, pulled back. In the next few hours, the two of them defined the poles of their relationship, which stand still. Mild aversion, indifference, and that instinctive flicker from eye to muscle, muscle to claw, or eye to gland and back to eye, or whatever and around and around, which I will call curiosity. Two rival gangs have agreed to a truce, but the gunmen are a bit edgy. That's what Owl and Claggart remind me of, and their new face-to-face -face encounters are from the same movie. Owl, under a protective umbrella of parents, firing his hex in all directions, was exploring on foot. Still flightless, he had just learned to pounce. Note here says, Let's say learned to pounce. Maturation was required as well as study. For a couple weeks he did not pounce at all, and then one evening he pounced on a beetle 100%. The transition was the short two-legged hop he would make in getting from place to place. It remained only to link that hop onto moving target. Still flightless, he had just learned to pounce and saw in front of him the twitching tail of the sleeping cat. He pounced on the twitch, infantile as the bird was, beak and talons still needy, and the cat must have felt each one. In cartoons, a cat so attacked goes straight up in the air, his mouth open yowling, his hair electrically bristling. Claggart, to get it as accurately as possible, I will drop the phrase got hastily to his feet. A standard cat posture, arched and twisted body, ears back, a nasty show of teeth. The weight shifted off one front leg, which makes a menacing half-movement. It's a movie again. The bully who is really a coward and is not going to fight it out instead sneers and snarls out of it as best he can. The tail having whipped out of his clutch, Owl made some kind of retreat, but was still staring at what was looming up in front of him. You can say he was aware of the magnitude of his error, but it was brazening out. 
or you could say he was staring aghast at the consequences of his act, Claggard slouched off and lay down again. I insist on the strangeness of the cat's reactions. He lightly spikes people who get too cuddly with him. He has finally come to allow Jason to nuzzle him, but he spikes him for any too sudden or buffoonish approach. My mother-in-law's black poodle can bark and harass until she actually arrives on the cat, and he spikes her. And although Claggart was watch, spied upon every instant when he was with the young owl, he has never been seen to make a threatening move, nor has he ever been hit or yelled at when near the owl, which might instill some kind of fear of the bird. In a similar procedure, I put Claggart and a visiting hamster together free. The cat may have been about to go for it, but he was easily soothed back into mere watchfulness and then indifference. That was the night the same hamster squeezed out of its cage and was killed by the same cat. It is not mildness which keeps Claggart in his place, nor is it fear or of or loyalty to the household gods. I don't know what it is. It's the hex. What enters the mind of a 50-pound golden retriever puppy when confronted with maybe four ounces of owl? Much of that mind is nose, and so he thinks to extend his broad, velvety nose further and further towards the owl, trying to define what is there. As usual, owl goes, chur, and nibbles the nose. Prodigiously excited, Jason Kervitz bows and waves his tail like a banner, paws on the floor. The invitation to the romp. There is real danger that owl will simply be stepped on and he is removed. For many days, Owl only stared at insects set free in front of him. They might draw his attention, but then they could walk right out in front of his unswerving field of vision. Then he began to track them with an amazed, furious glare. And one evening, so young that his flights were still mostly jump, Owl, strutting about on a sofa, was presented with a large, slow beetle. He strained himself up to full height, studied down his chest as the beetle backed off, bobbed a few times, then hopped to his target. As if seeking approbation, Owl glanced up, or perhaps he needed instructions. The beetle emerged from the thicket of talons, seeming to proceed on knees and elbows. As has been pointed out, Owl is far-sighted and the weakest sense of term. Where is the beetle, and where did he go? Hop, hop back, and another pounce. Again, the beetle worked his way past the beak and talons, and repeat until we realized the armor was proof against Owl's beak. On gradual increments, Owl learns to see, fly, pounce, and kill. He sees the figured curtain to be a tangle of vines and will climb them, almost upside down, clinging by tail and hook of beak, wings beating. After two or three ascents, it is too much trouble for him to prove he's right. He gives up on the curtain. He sees that any flat, unfigured surface, door, cornice, plaster wall is open air, and he flies into the face of fact. Well, so things are in the forest, and Owl's eye is born knowing it, long before the wings act on that knowledge. In our house, three or four cracks up against each such open air undo this dogma of the genes. Glass is a special case since nearly every pane is in front of a screen, which he acutely registers as a barrier. When he tries to land on the screen, he bounces obliquely from the glass several times, much range sensing from a security of a chair back. He tries to land on a mullion, which is almost but not quite possible. Trying again, he lands on a sill or transom. One or two more mistakes and the lesson is learned. Soon we will see him with his forehead pressed lightly against the glass, looking out. Chapter 5, 6, Incident The young owl did not chalk up the number of insect kills to his credit on his fuselage, kept them inside, but if he had, the number that, that evening would have been no less than twenty. A novice owl. He was perched on the door chimes. Overhead, just below the ceiling, a big moth, one of the heavy-bodied sort which he especially enjoys, clung on the wall. Not trusting his eyes at such short range, Owl thrust his beak up towards it several inches short. A nice problem. He cannot pounce upward from where he is, and because of the ceiling, he cannot swoop. Owl fell immediately onto a perch on the door, turned around to recite, and kicked off. Sweeping in through a very acute angle to the wall, at conflux with the moth, he did a half roll and took it in a fine one-handed catch. 
Well done, Owl. First word. The others, the eight distinct vocalizations of Owl, I can more or less intimidate, but that nearly incessant chirr the infant and then novice Owl makes, it defies me. Get a smallish, rusty electric motor attached to nothing, plug it in, quickly pull the plug out. It will sound only approximately like the Owlet, but you will understand why the noise is hard to imitate. One of life's minute pleasures is to hear this chirr become softer and softer as he sinks into sleep. Awake, he is like some infernal sending device used by the FBI, and he never lets up. Note here says, that first sound had since dropped from Owl's vocabulary. The process was gradual. Towards maturity, he would go chur only in reply to my whistle, the one whenever I fed him. In the forest, wouldn't others be alerted to an owl's presence? Why does he keep broadcasting? He is saying, here I am, mother. And since his present mother weighs more than two dogs and two cats put together, it is of advantage to him if mother knows where he is at all times. That is page 19 of 93, and we're going to stop there for today. I hope you guys enjoyed the reading. Um, maybe not, but, you know, we're trying here. I like this book a lot. It's very chill, and, and you learn a lot about not only owls, but a look into this guy's life, into his house. Uh, it's very clear, you know, he's writing this manuscript as his owl grows up. He, for some reason, decided it was important, and I like that a lot. You can kind of watch the book coming together and kind of see behind the scenes in it, so I, I really do enjoy it. Uh, I hope you guys liked this, and I'm going to be finishing the book soon. Um, and I got some short stories I'll be reading as well, so what I'll probably end up doing is releasing those in between chapters of Owl. Um, so I hope you enjoy, and you tune in for the next couple episodes here. I'll be trying to release at least one or two a week, um, so thank you. Enjoy your night, morning, evening, whatever it is, and I will see you next time for Owl Part 2.